Everybody who's here today is ready to start a new book, I hope. And I'm going to uh, I'm going to flee some 500 years from where we have been, and I'm going to get to where we're only 2,000 years in the past instead of 2,500 years in the past. And we're going to look at the book of John. And as I always do, I try to give you a good background in the book. So uh, for next time, if you'll read chapter 1, 1 through 18, that's called the prologue. Vital that we understand the prologue, the theology of the prologue, because the prologue is going to set us up for the rest of this book. So if you'll read uh, chapter 1, 1 through 18, we won't get there today, I'm quite sure. Because uh, I like to do a good brief, uh, a good brief. That's that's a redundant. I like to do a I like to do a detailed introduction into the book, and so uh, I'll. I'm on. I've been on since the prayer time, so we're good. John, now I'm gonna. I've got these in the notes. I don't want to treat you like children because you're not, but. Uh, I want to tell you some things about the Apostle John that you may not know that are critical to understanding why he wrote and how he wrote and what he thought. John, we know who John is. Who's John? He's the beloved Apostle. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. John the Apostle, he also wrote what? Everybody came up with the same answer. John, 1st, 2nd John, and the Revelation. He was one of the apostles who did not get martyred. He died of old age on the Isle of Patmos, most scholars think, and he wasn't martyred. And uh, it's very interesting. Remember at the end of John, when uh, he is talking to Peter after he, Peter denied him, and then three times he asked Peter, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, for the three times that Peter uh, denied him. And then they were talking there as they were eating breakfast as John concludes. And, uh, and basically he told Peter that he was going to die a martyred death. And he told John, and then Peter asked about that. And Jesus said, well, what's it to you if he, if he doesn't die? Remember at the end of John? And so he did not die a martyr's death, but he died as a prisoner exiled on the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ. So John was one of the apostles that was not martyred. And when he, in the book of John, he does never, he never names himself as the as the writer of the book, but I think Rusty said this, he is the, or maybe is Dwayne, or maybe it was all of you, who he calls himself the apostle, the man, the one who Jesus loves. And we see that in several verses. Let's look at 13.23 of John. He identifies himself as the one whom Jesus loves. And so John is called by many scholars the apostle of love. John... I love the book of John because the book of John is does not have it has a lot of theology but John is very simplistic I don't mean simple I mean his words are easy to understand his sentences are short he's not like a Paul who may write eight verses and be one sentence in the Greek like Ephesians 1:13 through that's one long verse so he's not as difficult to read and understand sometimes as Paul but he's very to the point 
He short sentences and he emphasizes love. If you've never read first, second, third John, I tell all new converts, those who are newly saved to read first John first because it is very easy to understand and packed with, with wisdom and, 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 and grace to live as a new Christian. But look at uh, 1323. Oh, we see this in John. Uh, first of all, he says, 1320C, this is when uh, they are uh, the Last Supper. Uh, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So that is John. And then Simon Peter asked him to ask Jesus a question about who is going to betray him. So we see that, the one whom Jesus loved. You see that in 1926, after the... Uh, at the at the cross, when Jesus is on the cross and he looks down and sees his mother Mary mourning for him at the cross, Jesus says this to John the Apostle, 1926, uh, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to the woman, behold your son, and he said to the disciple, behold your mother, and from then on, John takes Mary, Jesus' mother, and supports her and cares for her. If you look at 20, verse 2, uh, this is at the resurrection when they have a track meet to see who can get to the tomb first. Uh, this is chapter 20, verse 2. We know that uh, uh, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And Jesus, and then Peter went out and the other disciple and going to the tomb, and they both ran to together. And so we know that John is faster than Peter because he got there faster. And so we know that. I didn't have that in my notes. You can say he's faster than Peter. 21.7 is another verse that tells us. Uh, 21.7, this is the breakfast uh, by the sea before Jesus uh, goes up into heaven. Uh, part of this 50-day process after the, the resurrection. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And then we see that. And then in verse 20 of chapter 21, Then Peter, turning around, saw that a disciple whom Jesus loved, who had leaned on Jesus' breath at the Last Supper, and uh, had asked about who was going to betray. So we, John describes himself as the apostle who Jesus loved. And, and why do you think that without looking at MacArthur's explanation? Do you have an opinion about why he calls himself the apostle whom Jesus loves? Without looking at MacArthur's explanation right below it. Have you ever thought about that? Okay, John had a servant's heart. He certainly did. Any other thoughts on that over the years? He was very loyal. Very loyal, absolutely he was. Any other thoughts on that? He was quite younger, much younger than the rest of the disciples. So I think Christ kind of um, shepherded him, so to speak, as a discipling. May very well be. Uh, 
from John. He doesn't come off as um, wanting to be in charge or wanting to be um, the leader. He just he seems to just want to listen and obey. He doesn't, you know, try to get something else out of it. He reminds me of, uh, you know, Mary and Martha when Martha's out serving and busy and doing all that stuff. And Mary is at Jesus' bosom listening to him. So you see that. And MacArthur describes him as someone who is humble. And he says, and I'll just quote him, he says, "...is because of humility and a celebration of his relationship to Jesus Christ." Good answer. He loves Christ. He wants to know more about him, and so he's a humble servant. And that comes through in all of his writings. As a matter of fact, the, one of the longest and most detailed descriptions of Jesus Christ is found in a very unexpected place, and it's found in the Revelation, in chapter 1. And in that chapter, which I may get into when I get into something else, I'll read that, but it is an endearing chapter. And, and John reminds me of David, a man after God's own heart in the Old Testament. And uh, you see, John is the one that says, I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in the faith. So John has a very endearing personality. You know, he writes very affectionately to his, to his readers. He calls them little children. And he has a great love for him. And he is... Uh, very humble guy, so I think that's probably one of the good reasons. One of the things we know about John is he's a an apostle, and one of the characteristics of an apostle is someone who has seen Jesus. So J- John himself tells us that, and look at John 21, uh, 24. He testifies that he has been with Jesus, seen Jesus, he's seen the things that Jesus has done, and this is his testimony. And we see that in 21-24 of John. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his, John's testimony is true. And I love what verse 25 says, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So uh, I think that's a wonderful description. Then we see this description that John is an eyewitness. We also see that in his first book. So if you go over to 1 John chapter 1, we see John further describes his eyewitness in his physical touching, in his eyes that have seen Jesus. And we see this in his uh, prologue in the first John 1 John 1.1, that which was from the beginning, Jesus Christ, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The word was manifested, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was what, which was with the Father and was manifested to us that which we have seen and heard. We declare to you that you may have koinonia fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus. And these things we write to you that you may have joy and it may be full. So Jesus is, I mean, John is an eyewitness. John is a son of Zebedee. Who is his older brother? James. How do we know James is older? Huh? 
fishing longer. In the in the Greek, uh, the older is generally written first. So in all of the descriptions of John, James, and John, James is included first, and we see that in Matthew uh, ten two and the calling of the of the apostles uh, when Jesus called the apostles. Uh, James is mentioned first. It says ten two. Uh, now the names of the twelve apostles are these: Matthew ten two, Simon who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. So we do believe that James is older. Their daddy was Zebedee, and they are fishermen. What did Jesus call them? Sons of thunder. Why did Jesus call them sons of thunder? We see that he called them sons of thunder in Mark three seventeen. Uh, Jesus called them sons of thunder, and the uh, the Greek word is uh, three. Is it three seventeen? That three seventeen. We see uh, uh, the name is Bonerges, That is sons of thunder. I thought it was interesting why they were called sons of thunder, and there's two explanations given, and there's two. Uh, illustrations that may give us the reason why why Jesus called John and James and John sons of thunder. Look with me over to Mark while you're still in the same book. 9.38 Although John was a loving, humble servant, as Val has said, and I believe is correct, John was not just some meek guy who never spoke his mind and who never said anything and just with someone who just listened to Jesus, he was very uh, bold for Christ. Look at Mark 9.38. I think this is interesting, and I think it's a good reason why Jesus called them sons of thunder. Uh, thunder is bellowing. Uh, obvious what's going on when it thunders. Uh, preparatory for lightning, preparatory for maybe a storm. Look what uh, Mark says about John. Now, John answered... Uh, Answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not following up, do not follow us, casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he doesn't follow us. Very, very interested in God's and Jesus' work, very protective of his ministry, always wanting to protect the, the, the theology and the truth of the movement, and just desiring, uh, not desiring anything to interfere or, or uh, counter, counter, uh, contradict uh, Jesus' words. And then we see also in Luke 9.54, uh, maybe a better illustration, which may make us rethink what we think about John. Look at 9.54. Uh, i got to start in 9.51. Now it came to pass, when the, Luke 9.51, when the time had come for him to be raised up, that he steadfast set his face to go to Jerusalem before he dies on the cross, and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, and they entered to a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him to come, but they didn't receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. 
course, the other disciples didn't know why he wouldn't receive. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did? But Jesus turned to them and rebuked them and said, You don't know what matter of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So we see John as a young believer who is not yet filled with the Holy Spirit, who lets his emotions and perhaps some of his personality at, Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy these people? So... Uh, John uh, has a personality of his own. He was one of the three most associates, closest associates of Jesus. It was Peter, James, and John. They were there at the Transfiguration. They were there in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed. And then he brought those three together. So we see them uh, very close association with Jesus. John was a pillar in the Jerusalem church. His brother James was the pastor at the church at Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the central church where the Jews were saved. They went to this church and the Gentiles were brought in. And from this church, the gospel message was dispersed throughout all the world at that time. He was a minister with Peter. And you can look at these verses in Acts. He was an untrained fisherman. He was uneducated. Uh, in the Pharisaical system, Judean system, and he was just a fisherman, and we see that in many verses. Uh, and then traditionally, uh, he was at Ephesus, and then he got exiled to Patmos. He wrote he wrote John from Ephesus, from Ephesus, and, uh, and then he was exiled to Patmos, and there he wrote the Revelation. So that's sort of a little background on John, who he is. <coughs> Yes, ma'am. When I used to read that, I, I used to think it was kind of a conceited statement, you know, the disciples whom Jesus loved, like he thought he was. But then as I was studying, I kind of wonder, whenever he says the disciple that Jesus loved, if it is a humility statement, because he did have boldness, but if it was a humility statement, it was from the perspective maybe, and this is a question, that... Jesus loves even me, you know, not, I mean, that, do you understand what I'm Absolutely. saying? Absolutely. I mean, that, that's where the humility would have come from, perhaps, you know? Even someone like me. Very good thought. Very good thought. Thank you for that. One of the small writings, the first, second, third, John, written from Ephesus also. Yes. They were written from Ephesus, too. One thing that Absolutely. There's no evidence that he doubted like Thomas. He didn't. He didn't. Uh, so. That's right. So, uh, and then John is the one entrusted to the mother. So he, yeah. Jesus trusted him with his mother. So we see a lot about John. Uh, maybe he was younger. Uh, and then uh, it was written. Between 80 and 90 A.D., 
uh, it was written first in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the Revelation was written. And so he was the last gospel that was written, and it was written 50 years after Jesus had ascended and after he'd gone up into heaven. So it was written, of course, aided and borne along by the Holy Spirit, so the Spirit would bring to mind those things that had happened, and, and the Holy Spirit put in the book of John. In uh, uh, contrast, you know, Matthew is written to the Jews showing that Jesus is the king that they were expecting. Mark is written to the Gentiles, showing he is the servant. It's an action book, really quick, really quick, very active, very short, not a lot of detail, written to the Romans, uh, of which Mark was uh, in that in when they were ruling. Luke was written by a doctor, very detailed, uh, written to show that Jesus was the Son of Man emphasize his manhood, and John was written to the Greeks and to the Jews, and it was written, as Dwayne hinted at, it was written to show that Jesus was the Son of God, he was the Christ, and he was deity, as he claimed many times in the book. So that's why John, who John was written to, and it was written for one reason, John 20.31 tells us why the book of John was written. And it is similar reason why the book of 1 John was written. And John tells us why he wrote this book. And so he tells us in John 20, verse 31. John is very straightforward. Not difficult to understand. We'll do 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So the reason John wrote his book is that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, God of very gods, who He said He was. And when you believe that, you will have life in His name. So that's why He wrote this book, very straightforward, that you may believe. And so we understand this. Themes of the book. The major theme of the book is very simple, yet very sovereign, very the deity of Christ. In the prologue, as we get to that next week, in the very beginning of beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Okay, we'll get into Logos and what the word means and what it doesn't mean, but the theme of the book is that Jesus is God. He's not just a prophet, although he was a prophet. He's not just a high priest, He is the high priest, and He will be the king when He comes the second time. And He is the one rejected by the Jews. And so, Jesus is God. And we see that many times in this book. We see that, as I've already quoted, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very specific that Jesus is God, who He claims to be. Either Jesus is God, or He is a counterfeit. And you must believe that Jesus is God. And believing, you must have an intellectual understanding and you must have a fiduciary, you must have a trust.
that what you believe intellectually plays out in your life. And you put your life and your trust, and then you become obedient to Him because He's God. And so we'll talk about that in great detail. But we see that many times. Look at 1.14. And the Word, the Logos, and Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we're going to get into this concept of Jesus tabernacling among men, and this Emmanuel, God with us. And we see that Jesus is God, and He added to Himself humanity. So He's fully God and fully man, and we'll see that as this book opens that up to us. But the theme is that He is deity. And because He's deity, we owe Him our allegiance and our trust and our obedience. Look at 118. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. We're going to get into that next week when we talked about... Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but He was ISO. He was the same as God in every way. Same attributes, same mindset. And we're going to talk about the deity of Christ as we move into this uh, next week as we get into it. Verse 34, we see another claim. John says, I have seen and I have testified that this is the Son of God. Another testimony that Jesus is Christ, and this is a reference, of course, to John the Baptist when he's baptizing Jesus Christ. We see this, uh, look at 5.18, if you just want to see that Jesus himself acknowledges who he is. Jesus uh, says in John 5.18, he says, uh, well, actually Jesus isn't saying this, it's the, uh, it's the Pharisees. The Jews. Then the Jews sought all the more to kill Jesus because he not only broke the Sabbath, but that also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus claims to be deity, and we'll get into that in great detail. Look at 858 as we see Jesus' own testimony. One of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. Jesus talking to these unbelieving Jews, and we'll get into all this in great detail. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly saying to you, before Abraham was Yahweh, I am the self-existent one. I've always existed in eternity past. He, so he says, I'm older, and I came before Abraham. And that blew their mind. They couldn't understand the deity of Christ. But he said, I am. And they would all know that he's the one that said, I am that I am in the burning bush, his existence. And we'll talk about all that in great detail. If you look at 1030, chapter 10, verse 30, we see Jesus speaking as a shepherd, knowing his sheep. And I have a hard time getting through this dear scripture here, but because uh, I get emotional. But Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And He said, the Jews took up stones to stone Him. And Jesus said, many good works have I shown you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews said, for a good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself to be God. So the theme of this book is the deity of Christ. And then lastly, we see it in 14.9. Uh, uh, we see this, Jesus talking to Philip, 
who questions where Jesus is going and why can't we go with you? And, and we'll get into that in a second. We see Jesus said, Have I been with you so long and yet you don't know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? And we'll get into all that. But he is who he says he is. He claims to be Christ, the deity and he is. And so we see that is the great theme. This great theme of this book is also to believe. Over 100 times, more than double what are in the other synoptic gospels, we see this word, believe. It is why the book is written. These things are written so that you may believe, and in believing you may have life, eternal life. So believing, so if you have a trouble believing intellectually that Jesus is the Christ, if you have a trouble believing and trusting in this Christ as your Savior, if you have trouble obeying this Christ, this book will help you because this book is all about believing. And this book is going to tell us that the work of God is that you believe. You have to believe as a person in your mind. You're responsible for that. We're also going to learn that it is God's work that gives you this ability to believe. Okay, so we're going to talk about that when we get into John chapter 6. So we see that. And it is also a book that is very, very evangelistic. And it is very detailed on apologetics. Apologetics is the theology of God. And so this theology of God, the purpose of the theology of God in its apologetics is to be evangelistic. And we'll talk about that in great detail. I'll read you a quote from MacArthur. The gospel uh, in E3. Would you hand these, uh, one of these to Greg and Brenda. I saw them come in and they don't have their notes. Theme uh, under E3, uh, MacArthur says the gospel is composed to provide reasons for saving faith in his readers and as a result assure them that they would receive the divine gift of eternal life. John tries to convince his readers John, Jesus was divine and human, perfectly united into one person. So we see this book is intensely evangelistic, i.e., the the uh, being born again, Nicodemus, the wind blowing where it listeth. You don't know the wind blows, but you see the effects of it. We're going to see the Holy Spirit's role in giving men eyes to see truths about who Jesus is and therefore being saved through that. And so we'll see that. This book is centered in the way he wrote this book. There are eight signs in the book that all testify that Jesus is Christ, He's God. And this book is written so that the signs in the book are all given and then they are explained so that you may be a believer and a truster in Him. And the signs are... Let me test your knowledge of the signs. There are eight signs in this book. What are the famous signs? And I'm going to see how many you know. Water into wine. 
And we'll talk about the significance of that. And we'll talk about the wedding in Canaan. And we're going to talk about after two days. And we're going to talk about what all that means. And we're going to talk about the betterness. The betterness. Is that even a word? The betterness of the New Test, new Covenant compared to the Old. And the bursting of the wineskins. And, and I'll talk about all that. Uh, that's one. Walking on the water. Huh? Feeding the 5,000. Are you guys reading these? They're not in your notes. So y'all know these. Feeding 5,000. Raising Lazarus. The healing of the blind man. In chapter 9, which is a picture of salvation and what occurs in salvation. That Jesus seeks out the blind man and it's beautiful. We'll look at that in great detail. Lame man. Got that? And then we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. The catching the fish. How many fish? One hundred and fifty-eight. We'll talk about that. I don't. I don't know the answer to that question. Nobody does. But that's curious. Enough to break the nets. Enough to break the nets. Good answer. And what else? We got one more. The feeding of the multitude. I got that one. Healing officer's son. Right on the tip of your mouth, right? Eight signs, and these signs are all built around the theology of he did this because of this, he did this because of that. And we'll talk about that in great detail. Yes, sir. <coughs> these, uh, these aren't just signs and wonders of just anybody. These are these messianic miracles, so to speak. Yes, they are. And they were prophesied beforehand. Yes. In the scriptures. Yes. And the timing of these, this one is done on a certain Jewish feast day for a specific reason. We'll get into all that. And so aren't you glad you're here? This will be good. Uh, uh, where else am I? We got eight signs. Did I, I got off track. I always do this. It's all right. Why is it written? Okay, we got that. Got that. Now, signs. Everybody got this? Now, the neatest... Neat. I sound like a teenager. The uniqueness of the book. And I'll go by memory here. There are no parables. And it is not synoptic. The three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are synoptic, but John is not. For ten bonus questions, what does the word synoptic mean? It's a Greek word, and it it means to see as one, and it it means to have... What else do I have in my notes? Share Share a common point of view. 
Beautiful. So it is not a subnight. And when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you see the same story basically told. Uh, maybe a different uh, viewpoint or something. Very similar. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is not like that. John wrote this 50 years later. He did not use Matthew and Luke. Used Mark. It was written first. A little short, pithy one. And then they built upon that. Uh, and written to specific people. But John, the beloved in Ephesus, when he wrote this 50 years later, he wrote it as a more of a... Uh, to complement the Gospels, but he had a different theme in his, and we talk, we'll talk about that. And then we're going to get into, the end is a big discussion, we'll get into that, uh, about uh, John's record of the day Jesus is crucified and the day the feast is taken, and we'll talk about all that in great detail. But uh, 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 John is written to to focus on Jesus' Judean ministry. And then John has the eight signs. And John has the seven I am's. Remember, this book is written to show that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God. And so he has seven I am's. So here again, to taste your knowledge, what are the seven I am's? I am the true vine. That would be John 15. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is 14.6. Light of the world. You've been well taught over your years, haven't you, son? Not just joking. <laughs> Light of the world is 812. Come on. Good shepherd is John 10. What else? Good. I got good. We got shepherd. And if you can write this, true vine, way, truth, and the life, light of the world, good shepherd, and that's in John 10. Come on. Two more. The resurrection and the life. He's the resurrection and the life, and that is going to be uh, 1125. Nope. Two more. I'm not going to let you rest. He also That's not one of the seven, but that is true. What's that that you just walk through over there? He says, I'm the door of the sheep, and I'm the door. And he says that in John chapter 10. One more. I already mentioned that. Good shepherd. Brenda gave us that one. Huh? What are you fixing to have at noon? He is the bread of life. And we'll talk about that. And we're going to talk about the seed that's got to fall into the ground and the seed has to die. And we're going to talk about that being a picture of His bodily resurrection to give evidence that He who He is, who He says He is. So that's unique about John. Uh, uh, so that's uh, it's the most theological of the Gospels. 
uh, and that's going to be emphasized in the prologue, which is 1 through 18, which I want you to read for next week. It's going to be talking about being born again, concepts that Jews should have understood but didn't understand. We have more depth about the Holy Spirit in the book of John than any other book in the Scripture. And then we have the most, the most wonderful chapter, uh, Close to Romans 8. My favorite is John 17. We're going to talk about the high priestly prayer. And Melanie can't read my gibberish. What are you looking for? This week I'm going to the store and I'm buying black. I've got black up. No, I don't. Thank you. Sheila did. What, what can't you read? True vine? Good shepherd? Resurrection life, door, bread of life. It looks like poor, doesn't it? What chapter is the bread of life? I'm going to guess that it's six. And then we're going to talk about the most wonderful chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. The last Passover discourses. No more personal intimacy about who Jesus is. His call for us to love each other and to love one another, to be servants. The reasons why we're on this earth. And we're going to talk about that in good detail. Comments, questions. We've launched it. And I'm going to have mercy on you today. And you're going to get to go home early. But read 1, 1 through 18. And we won't get there, but we'll read it. Okay? Any comments or questions? Just so like maybe we can read and study in the same uh, translation that you're in. What do you teach out of? New King James. New King James. Anything about John that you want to know that you don't know? Anything that you want to know? It's the only one we're aware of, yes. Um, my Bible just says, like, the, so instead of eight signs, it says there's seven signs. It doesn't actually say catching the fish. The eighth sign is the catching of the fish, yes. I'm going to say, like, my, mine doesn't mention catching the fish as a, as a sign. It says, like, there's seven I am, seven signs. So, um, why is that sign? Because that's what John Calvin says. I'm going to be using. I'm I'm going to be using Matthew Poole. Matthew Poole is Spurgeon's favorite commentator, and Spurgeon is my favorite pastor. I'm going to be using John Calvin, who is my favorite commentator, and the most gifted theologian since Apostle Paul, in my humble opinion. And then I'm going to use MacArthur, who is probably your favorite commentator. They all agree together on this, and there's no distinction in their thinking, and it's going to be good. Okay? Comments or questions?